Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, I'm the Big Recon, and I know it's a couple of days later than promised, but today we get into our 2019 April review of the New York Mets so far. We're going to get into the season, which obviously started in March, as MLB, everybody in, ML, in MLB, excuse me, opened on March 28th. And then we're going to get through the month of April, hitting highlights on each series, as opposed to each game, like I do in our weekly review on YouTube every week. And then there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about that have hit me over the last month uh, that I felt I needed to give an opinion on, on my platform, not just on social media. So let's start back on March 27th. And why March 27th? Because that was the day the Mets gave the fans the payoff they've been looking for since the end of last season. And they signed Jacob deGrom to a five-year extension worth $137.5 million, basically keeping deGrom in a Met uniform for the entirety of his career. We don't see that too much as Met fans. Uh, you have guys like David Wright, Ed Cranepool, who, by the way, for Met fans who listen, uh, came through kidney transplant surgery, according to Twitter earlier today, with flying colors and is recovering. And we will see him at the June 29th game where the Mets will honor the 1969 world champions. Um, but DeGrom inking that contract, keeping him in a Met uniform for his whole career, really proved that the new GM wants to make sure he keeps the best guys around for a long time to come. Went a long way in really cementing a very good offseason for the Mets in which they plugged a lot of holes they had, but not all of them. So the season began on March 28th when the Mets were in D.C. to take on the Nationals. And for the first time in, I'm pretty sure it's either ever or a very long time, the previous year's Cy Young Award winner and the runner-up would face off on opening day. And they did not disappoint as Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer went toe-to-toe on a very nice day in D.C. in March. Now, anybody who watches the Mets or follows them or knows anything about them know that the New York Mets are the best team when it comes to opening day, the highest winning percentage for a team that lost its first nine before finally winning on opening day. This franchise won a World Series before they won on opening day but have been very, very good since 1970. Robinson Cano, who made his Mets debut, drove in both runs, including a first-inning solo home run to left center off Max Scherzer, later on parachuting a base hit into the outfield to drive in the second run, and the $137.5 million man went six shutout innings, allowing five hits and striking out ten to get the W over Max Scherzer. Mets farm system wonderkin Pete Alonso made his major league debut. That's a tough debut to make. Let's start right there. You get Scherzer your first day out? Not cool. But he got his first hit. And he actually admitted that he got misty-eyed after the game and possibly during it. Game two saw the fireballers going again as Steven Strasburg faced off against Thor himself, Noah Syndergaard. Uh, This really wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Neither guy factored in the decision. Um, the Mets scored 11 runs to take a opening season series against the Nationals. Uh, Pete Alonso, Wilson Ramos, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, and Dom Smith all drove in two runs to pace the Mets attack that day. 
In the third and final game, the Mets lost their first time of the year on a walk-off home run by Trey Turner. Zach Wheeler pitched okay, um, but they really couldn't get the job done against Patrick Corbin, the newly acquired national, and the Nats' pen. Now, I want to say this. The Nationals' pen is going to come up again in this podcast, and it will come up all throughout the year, I feel, and it came up in the baseball preview. So remember that, the Nationals' bullpen. So from their first weekend in D.C., the Mets then went to Miami to face our old friends, the Marlins, or who I like to now call who? But it was nice to see Curtis Granderson, a cornerstone of that 2015 National League Championship team, still in the big leagues and now back in the National League East so we can see him a few times a year in New York. Uh, swept the Marlins three straight. Couple of big firsts in that series. First of all, Pete Alonso hits his first Major League home run. An absolute laser beam to right center field. Uh, it never got more than maybe 10 feet off the ground. I mean, this ball was absolutely smoked. Uh, in the second game, Jacob deGrom in the third game was a do-it-all kind of guy. He struck out 14, which is his new career high. His former career high, of course, was 13 that he actually set in Game 1 of the 2015 National League Division Series in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. Um, he also hit his first home run of the year, another absolute moonshot uh, that gave the Mets an early lead, and they held on as the bullpen needed to be brought in and kind of hold down the fort because they weren't very good the first week of the season. So after the sweep of the Marlins, which also included uh, Dom Smith with a couple RBIs off the bench uh, in Game 2, they actually shifted against him, and he went against the shift, something he did not do last year when he was up for a good portion of the year. So the Mets opened the National League schedule in New York against the Nets, and they fell short on the opener as Syndergaard was vastly ineffective. Uh, of course, my favorite part of opening day is the introductions. It's a new season. You want to, Your fans want to cheer for their team on the first day. And the two loudest ovations of the day were for, of course, Pete Alonzo. And I, you've heard me say that name a bunch already in this podcast and, of course, on the weekly re- recaps. This is the best power hitter that the New York Mets have ever brought along and developed since Daryl Strawberry. Now, Daryl Strawberry made his Major League debut in 1983. So 36 years for the Mets to find a power hitter. David Wright was not a power hitter. David Wright was a well-rounded hitter who had some power. Uh, Wright used all fields. Pete Alonso uses all fields as well, but he is an all-fields power hitter. He's not going to hit near 300 like David did for the majority of his career, I don't think. He could develop that, but right now Pete is a monster power hitter. And the biggest ovation of the day was for the reigning Cy Young Award winner, Jacob deGrom. It wasn't just the ovation for winning the Cy Young Award, which they actually presented later on in the homestand uh, to him again. It was the love from the fans for saying, thank you for staying. Thank you for choosing us. And we will rain down our love on you every chance we get. Every fifth day. As cool as opening day is, this was the first one where it felt a little weird to me. 
the last time it felt a little weird was the year Ralph Kiner passed. Because from the time Kiner took over or started with the Mets in 1962, he announced the opening day lineup every year possible until his passing uh, six, seven years ago. But this one was weird because for the first time that I can remember, whether it was as an active player or there as on the roster but injured, Howie Rose did not introduce David Wright. I was at opening day in 2018. And I can honestly say the loudest ovation was not for Mickey Calloway. It was not for Noah Syndergaard. It was not for... It was for David Wright. Because we all wanted to see the captain again. This year, unfortunately, it didn't happen as David has hung him up. So opening day was a bust. Mets get shut out. Thor ineffective. And Steven Strasburg was very good uh, for the Nationals that day. Uh, Game two, J.D. Davis made his presence felt. The Mets went out and got him because he can hit left-handed pitching like nobody else. Uh, He hit two homers off Patrick Corbin. Michael Conforto launched one up into the Coca-Cola corner, which they should rename Kiner's Corner. But the eighth inning... I was able to watch this game, and the eighth inning was pretty cool. Pete Alonso, first of all, he was out on his front foot and didn't get squared up on the barrel. He hit it 420-some feet to dead center field. And then Robbie Cano hit one to the bridge in right center. Now, if anybody is a Met fan that's listening, you know where the Shea Bridge is. And he hit it to the Shea Bridge in right center. An absolute bomb. But the biggest moment and the biggest hit of that afternoon happened within just a few moments of each other. Keon Broxton was hitting late in the game in the eighth inning. Robinson Cano was standing on the top step, and he yelled out to Broxton to stop trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Stay within yourself. Hit the ball to right field. The next pitch, Broxton hit to right center, and the Mets took the lead that they would not relinquish. They win the second game of the uh, series to knot it up at 1-1, one and one, get their first win at home on the year. On Sunday, they got out slugged. Uh, bullpen couldn't hold the game, and the bats fell apart late in the game. Uh, couldn't get out of the deficit they were in. The Mets lost 12-9. So Minnesota came in uh, next, first interleague series of the year for the Mets, and they split it. Uh, the first night was a Jacob deGrom start that we'd like to forget. It was delayed by rain. He was off his normal routine But he was not very good. Gave up a bunch of home runs. Ten home runs were hit that night between the Mets and the Twins. Uh, And the Mets took a nosedive in Game 1. Game 2 saw Noah Syndergaard actually pitch very, very well. And Pete Alonso has his first multi-homer game in the big leagues. As the Mets get the second game of the series under their belt, get a split with Minnesota, and hit the road for the second road trip of the year. It was a split in Atlanta. You're going to see this is becoming a thing now. A split in Atlanta uh, highlighted in the two wins. Pete Alonso hit the fifth fastest ball, fifth hardest ball, I guess, in the StatCast era to dead center field at Atlanta's new ballpark. It landed 
in the fountain 440-some feet away. Uh, Steven Matz pitched very well in uh, Atlanta. Zach Wheeler pitched very well in Atlanta. Brandon Nimmo uh, started to come out of a slump a little bit, uh, hitting a big two-run home run in Game 2 of that series. In Game 3, uh, Jacob deGrom... I'm sorry, Game 4 deGrom pitched and was, again, not that great. Another game a little bit delayed. But Game 3 of the series was Jason Vargas, and he was absolutely terrible. But they showed me something that night. The Mets got down 4 nothing in the first inning. And in the top of the second, they put up four of their own to tie it. Now, Vargas couldn't hold the lead, and poor Chris Flexen was thrown to the Wolves. But they showed me something in that second inning. They didn't give up, and they kept scrapping back toward the end of the game, too. So they leave Atlanta with a split, which if you go into the other team's house for four, that's what you want to do. You want to split. But if you get the first two like the Mets did, you want to take at least three. Couldn't get it done on that, on that trip. The Mets went from Atlanta to Philadelphia for another divisional game, and it was Jackie Robinson Day, where all of baseball wears 42, and we all pay homage to a great pioneer and to a great man. I will put an asterisk on it for one thing. I do believe that on the day Larry Doby broke the color barrier in the American League with the Cleveland Indians, that we should also honor Doby on that day. He went through just about everything the same that Jackie Robinson did, but it's not publicized because he wasn't first. But he was first in the American League, so I really think that he should be remembered as well. So they went on Jackie Robinson Day in Philadelphia, setting the tones. First time they saw Bryce Harper in a Phillies uniform. But they get the win there, but then they drop the next two. Steven Matz was absolutely shelled in his start. Um, gave up a couple of home runs, and it was just ugly. And then, of course, Vargas was terrible as well. Uh, they then went home to open the final home stand of the month. After a trip to St. Louis. Excuse me, they went to St. Louis, and that's where something funny happened. Noah Syndergaard hit his first home run. So now you're seeing DeGrom and Syndergaard each have dingers. But Syndergaard was more a throwback to the Jose Canseco misplayed home run into the out, into the stands by Dexter Fowler than it was the bomb that Jacob DeGrom's was. Pete Alonso, that series, and again, I'm throwing that name out there. Pete Alonso was hit in the hand, and that's been a thing with the Mets this year, is that guys are getting hit in the hand left and right. But Pete Alonso gets hit in the hand and calls Mickey Calloway and says, I need to play tomorrow, Skip. I faced this guy in college, and I really don't like him. And what did Alonso do? But hit a 450-foot home run off of this guy. I don't even remember what the guy's name was. In the first inning. I think it was the second pitch he saw, and he just absolutely crushed it. That was in the only game the Mets won. Dropping two of three in St. Louis. They had a road trip where they won four games and they lost five of them. I'm sorry, they won. They were four and six in that road trip, a 10-game trip between Philly, Atlanta, and uh, St. Louis. So then the Mets came home 
to start the final series of the, the homestand of the month. And Steven Matz, who I said was shelled in Philly, does a complete 180 and was absolutely dominant at home against them. Uh, the Flying Squirrel, Jeff McNeil, hit his first dinger of the year and just was raking. Game two saw Zach Wheeler become the first 100-100 pitcher in 2019. You're asking yourself, what does that mean? That means he threw a pitch that hit 100 miles an hour, and he hit a baseball that went 100 miles an hour, as Wheeler hit his first career home run to left center in his second at-bat. In his first at-bat, he hit a two-run double on a breaking ball down and in that he just kind of threw the bat at into the right field corner. Todd Frazier added a grand slam late, and the Mets won 9-0 to shut out the Phils in Game 2. Now, Bryce Harper got thrown out in one of these games, and then you had the drama in Game 2 with Reese Hoskins and Jacob Rehm. Jacob Rehm is not one of the top relievers the Mets will use. He is a fill-in, mop-up guy. The Mets had a big lead late, and they brought him in to pitch the ninth inning. And he buzzed Rehm, and he buzzed Hoskins a couple of times. I get it. Hoskins was not happy. Get over it. So the next night, when the Phillies won the seri- the the third game of the series to salvage one, Hoskins hit a home run off frame, and it took him 42 seconds to round the bases. Now, I did the long pause there. Because Reese Hoskins is a joke. The guy wasn't throwing at you. But there's something to remember. Nobody on the Phillies throws as hard as the Mets starters. Keep running your mouth. That's how someone gets drilled, and these two teams are going to fight. I can feel it. And I hope it's at City Field. Watch, Listen to Hernandez go crazy about it. Next in to face the Mets was the Milwaukee Brewers, the defending National League Central Division champions. Milwaukee took two of three. The first two games, whereas the Mets were competitive, really had not much sticking out. Uh, Pete Alonso in game three hit his first Major League triple, a beer-soaked triple. And you say, Mike, what do you mean beer-soaked? I mean, a guy at City Field tried to catch it because he thought it was going to be a home run ball and dumped his beer on Ryan Braun. Now, dumping your beer at a ball game is terrible. Dumping your beer on a player is worse. Dumping your beer on a guy who plays for the Brewers? That's alcohol abuse. It's not good. So the Mets' first month of the season ended up with a split against Cincinnati in the first two games of a four-game series. Um, It was a one-run loss on a Monday night, the 29th. And on Tuesday the 30th, it was the Flying Squirrel and the Pete Alonso show. The Flying Squirrel, Jeff McNeil, gets four base hits in the second game, gets a base hit to set up Alonzo's first walk-off hit, uh, walk-off sacrifice fly, excuse me, and then you can hear McNeil in the post-game celebration saying, I get half the credit, I could have driven in the run myself. Don't ever change, Jeff McNeil. That was wonderful. So the Mets ended the first full month of the season over 500 and in the hunt in the National League East. But there was some things that happened. Well, one thing that happened that I'm going to touch on now that I want to put in some kind of perspective. 
On the 26th of April, the New York Mets designated for assignment catcher Travis Darno. There was a lot of heat in the offseason as to them retaining Darno, trading Kevin Ploiecki to the Cleveland Indians, where he has thrived, and non-tendering Wilmer Flores, who now is in Arizona and playing well there as well. I want to put something in perspective for you guys. The New York Mets have been to the World Series five times. 1969, 1973, 1986, for R.A. Dickey, Mike Nickius, and Josh Tolley. His tenure in New York was just like the rest of his career. It was hampered by injuries. At the end of the day, Travis Darno gave us some of the great moments in that 2015 postseason run. The back-to-back home runs in Game 4 of the LCS with Lucas Duda. The home run off the apple in the LCS uh, with the Cubs. Um, the home run in the LDS and the big uh, blowout game at City Field. Travis should be missed. And all the Met fans can complain and all the Met fans can whine. He's always hurt. They should have done this. The bottom line is this. Travis was very star-crossed. He was very unlucky. He was the first catcher I ever heard of needing Tommy John surgery. Travis will be missed. He's a link to that 2015 team that we don't have too many left, guys. Think about it. David's gone. Wilmer's gone. Murph is gone. Dude is gone. No Harvey. No Granderson. And now no Travis Darno. It's crazy how baseball changes quickly. It was only four years ago. Travis Darno was the catcher of the National League champion New York Mets. And now he's uh, actually re-signed with, signed with the Dodgers. Uh, and was immediately put into the Major League roster. And they optioned an infielder or an outfielder to AAA. So that was the one big roster move the Mets made in April. Um, April was an up and down month. It was a typical month to start a season for the New York Mets. Signs of brilliance. Signs of dominance. And signs of ugh, face palm and typical Mets. Which brings me to my last topic for the evening. Now, I'm pretty big on social media. I promote the show on social media. I am in a podcast community on social media. I have a YouTube channel. I have a Facebook page. But I have to tell you, some of the most frustrating things outside of things that actually matter in life is the insane amount of bellyaching, whining, and garbage by New York Mets so-called fans on social media. Let me put it to you very plainly. 
I am a diehard. I root for this team every minute of every day. I do not believe they are out of it until the final out of game 162. Some of you out there in social media make me sick. Whether it's bad-mouthing the players, bad-mouthing the front office, taking pot shots at the way guys play, or who's going through a slump, or who, who's having problems on defense. And a day later when they get a big hit, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. The team loses four out of five. They're terrible. The season's over. They could win seven in a row, and all of a sudden they're going to win the World Series, and it doesn't matter. I know fan is short for fanatic. But some of the things I've read in the last week border on plain stupid. I did an episode back uh, in January. I actually recorded it before my 40th birthday. And I talked about social media and my opinion on it. And I can honestly tell you, I don't think anyone listened to it. Because it's still rampant, it's still terrible, and it's still ugly. People in social media, and I'm going to say you guys, and I don't mean everybody, but you guys in social media, you badmouth players. Trevor Bauer from the Indians got death threats and was told to drive his car off a pier and to kill himself because he had one bad outing. A lot of Met fans probably aren't much better. You say, you say all these things on social media and you don't think these guys are human. Let me tell you a little something I actually watched with my own two eyes. 16 years ago, 2003, I'm on the field at Shea Stadium for a full team workout and batting practice and I'm watching Mike Piazza launch baseballs into another orbit. There was a guy who looked like he had tailgated too much, and he is screaming at them. Why don't you hit the ball like that in a game? Why can't you do that in a game? Jay Bell was at the end of his career, the old pirate shortstop who won a World Series with the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2001. And he looked up, and I remember the look on his face. It was a look on his face of somebody who was trying their hardest and didn't feel like they mattered. Well, if this ever gets to anybody on the Mets, you will never hear me complain about your effort, unless I think you're dogging it. But then I'll never take a shot at you. And yes, have I said very publicly on my podcast that I believe the Mets should sign Dallas Keuchel or Craig Kimbrell and bring other guys in? Being critical is not the same as being borderline criminal. I do believe the Mets should bring in Dallas Keuchel. They need another arm in their rotation. Vargas is down now. Steven Matz is inconsistent. Zach Wheeler is inconsistent. Noah Syndergaard is inconsistent. Jacob DeGrom has been inconsistent. They need another arm. Craig Kimball can help a bullpen that is ailing to find itself. But I'm not out here calling Brody Van Wagen and names. I'm not out here telling him he's, if he doesn't do this, he should be fired. Article released today. 
Should Mickey Calloway lose his job? Reality check. We're not even a quarter of the way into the season. As we sit today, May 8th, 2019, the New York Mets are 17 and 20. Three games under 500. Three and a half games out of first place in the National League East. I will remind the listening public of something. On July 31st, 2015, the New York Mets were one game over 500. And they won 90 games and a pennant. Just remember that. This is a good team. It's flawed. It's not perfect. But it's a very good team. These guys can flip that switch very soon. And if the bats that aren't performing right now get hot and the pitching gets consistent, it's going to get fun. So to you Mets Twitter, I say R-E-L-A-X. Relax. They're 37 games into a 162-game season. There is 125 of these things left. Win the majority of them, you're playing in October. Tug said it best. You gotta believe. And I still believe after one month. Don't know why anybody wouldn't. As always, we can be heard on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and Anchor. Social media at BRonsports1 on Twitter. At Mets Jets Bucks 41, which is my personal personal Twitter handle. YouTube, Big Recon on Sports, and of course on Facebook, the Big Recon on Sports. Haven't decided what next week's show is going to be about yet, but look for Sunday night to come at you with the weekly Mets recap show. If I don't record before then, to all the moms who do listen, including my own, and my mother-in-law and my wife, happy Mother's Day. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one.